Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Let's talk about what happened in the debates. There's uh, just a whole lot of fascinating information out there, and and it was, you know, quite a three hours. First of all, the media story today is that Elizabeth Warren dodged the tax issue. This was the, you know, the the entire last hour of morning. Well, I only watched about half of it, but what I saw on on uh, Joe Scarborough's show. What I saw over and over again, uh, everybody, you know, Elizabeth Warren won't say she's going to raise taxes. She didn't dodge anything. She said, I'm going to lower costs on middle class families. This whole, oh, you're going to raise taxes without saying, oh, and you're going to lower costs is a pure Republican and health insurance industry talking point. And these idiots from the corporate media that call themselves news people, and they're actually TV stars making tens of millions of dollars a year as stars, um, and, and know that their multi-million dollar salary depends on their having conflict and getting ratings. These people are obsessed with trying to get this little sound bite out of Elizabeth Warren that the Republicans can turn into an ad. And I mean, this is what happened back in the day. Walter Mondale said in the opening of the debate, actually, uh, with him and Reagan, he said, I'm going to raise your taxes and so is Ronald Reagan. The difference is, he won't tell you the truth, and I just did. And that's what, he, that's what Mondale said. And the Republicans turned that into an ad, and they destroyed Mondale with it. And, and in fact, Reagan won every state except Mondale's home state of Minnesota in the 1984 election. And Elizabeth Warren, I mean, they're just, they're just begging Elizabeth Warren to give them that soundbite. And she's like, why would I do that? This is your frame, not my frame. I'm talking about costs. You know, what does it cost an American to have to have health insurance, essentially, to have a protection against getting sick? What does it cost an American? I'm going to reduce the costs for working people, average Americans, poor people, you know, working people, even upper middle income people. But the costs for very rich people, those costs are going to go up. And, you know, a large chunk of it's going to be taxes. But, you know, she is... The CNBC headline, Warren dodges questions on middle class tax hikes under Medicare for all. Right. See, I mean, it's like they're 
And then she said, I will not sign into law a bill that does not lower costs for middle class families. Period. God bless her. She needs to keep saying it exactly the way she's saying it. She, in fact, she said, my question is not why do Bernie and I support a wealth tax? It's why is it everybody else on this stage think it's more important to protect billionaires than it is to invest in an entire generation of Americans? You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. And could the answer to that question be because everybody else on the stage is taking money from billionaires? I don't know. Seems that way. The one thing that I... I do want to say, though, in, in asking you for your take, and I'm, I'm walking this line probably not as well as I should, but, you know, it's entirely possible that Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders will not be the nominee of our party. And we could end up with Joe Biden or Amy Klobuchar, uh, Klobuchar or, or Pete Buttigieg. Um, I think pretty much anybody else is extremely unlikely, but, you know, it, it, it could be one of them. And... I, I will work as hard as I can to get any of them elected, uh, even even though I thought, you know, you know, I didn't think Joe did himself any big favors last night. Um, and I and I'm very concerned, uh, you know, that Donald Trump will eat his lunch in a debate. But, you know, maybe the you know, the Trump hate is so widespread in the United States that, uh, you know, it, it almost doesn't matter who our nominee is. But the bottom line is that, you know, in, in terms of winning against Trump, but, but that person is at the top of the ticket, which is going to bring along the Senate and the House and everything else and state houses. And, you know, so it's really important. But I think it's also important that uh, none of us um, vilify or wound any of the Democratic challengers at this point that we, you know, we can speak well of the ones that we like. We can specify our complaints of the ones that we have concerns about. But I think that characterizing any of them as not having integrity or, or as being sellouts or as being, uh, and, and, I, and I realize I've come close to this by saying they're taking money from Democrat, from billionaires. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay close attention to that too. But I'd like you to pay uh, attention to that when you offer your opinions. Let's, let's not leave blood on the floor, I guess, is the bottom line. Uh, a fascinating time. I, I, I first wanted to uh, check in with Jefferson Smith, the guy who fills in for me from time to time here. Uh, he's the uh, owner and has his own show on X-Ray FM, the local Portland affiliate for our program. And uh, also, he's a former state legislator here in Oregon, uh, knows politics inside out, uh, was the, the, the co-founder of the Bus Project, but probably one of the most successful uh, progressive activist programs in, in the Pacific Northwest, I'd say maybe in the country. It's become the model for a lot of others. Jefferson, welcome back. Hello, sir. It's great to hear your voice. It's great to be on the air together. And I came with the answer. Okay. You've, you've, you're, you're the spreadsheet guy. So you've been figuring out the, you know, what's going answer. on. Okay. What's the yeah. First, what's the question? So the, the question is, who won the debate? Okay. And I have the answer. All right. And, and to be clear, for purposes of this exercise, I have no viewpoint of my own only an amalgamation of the purportedly educated viewpoints of others. Now, you mean that uh, for purposes of presentation. I'm sure you have your own opinion. Yes, exactly. Just for this exercise, I do. I have my own, many opinions. But I'll I'll take my tongue out of my cheek for a moment. Okay. uh, as, As I think about debates, 
and I think about how debates sort of impact me, how I evaluate them, I recognize how much we're all impacted largely by our own preferences and biases, right, explicitly and implicitly. If a candidate says something about wealth disparities or climate change or democracy and voting rights, I might nod my head vigorously. If a centrist says something to whack Elizabeth Warren, a centrist might might nod their head vigorously. And those nods inform our overall view. It also occurred to me that in evaluating how the debate impacts the race, my own view is, is also limited in its value because so much of figuring out the impact of a debate on a race is what the pundits, in fact, say. So starting this year, what I started doing, and I got nerdy about it, is I started making a spreadsheet for each of the Democratic primary debates and, and cataloging. I would take 10, so this is sort of the methodology, I would take 10 leading news outlets. There's a lot of overlap, but sometimes I use different ones based on uh, how quickly they publish. Uh, I try to take those that seem pretty credible and, and actually write pretty good stuff on it. And then I catalog what they say are the winners and losers. And I then give a sort of a little special comparison with the New York Times, who does their own average of their 10, uh, 10 of their writers. Mm-hmm. So does that methodology make sense? Are, 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 have I lost everybody so far? Have I already yeah, no, so let's get right to it. Who won and who lost? All right. According to, according to the media pundits, basically. Yes, this is the pundit review. You want to hear losers first or winners first? I up to you. All right. So the so I'll do I'll do the mild losers. And my definition of mild loser is the folks who kind of came in the middle. And the reason I call them a mild loser is because at this point, as the race heats up, if you don't if you don't do anything really, then one could say it's not helpful to your campaign. By mild loser, so do you mean I, that these are the moderates who are losers, or these are people who moderately lost? Moderately lost. Thank you okay. for that clarification. Thank you. Uh, so, so these folks, uh, Andrew Yang and Cory Booker, got just over, were almost mild winners, almost mild winners. Uh, but the uh, Kamala Harris and Castro came oh, just mild losers. They barely just, barely just under an average. So pretty close to neutral. Okay. All right. So those are people pretty much in the middle. So they, the, they basically uh, didn't change as a consequence of the debate last night, in all probability. That would be one according way. To, of, yeah, according to the media pundits. Yeah. According to media pundits, and I should say, uh, I'll say it really quickly, the folks that I looked at, I looked at New York Times, Vox, CNN, USA Today, The Independent, Washington Post, Business Insider, BBC, Alternate, and I included Red State this time, mm-hmm. my first time including them. Okay. Uh, and, and interesting, their, their analysis wasn't way out of whack with, wasn't way out of step with other folks. Yeah. The, uh, the, the biggest losers were, uh, well, Beto O'Rourke and Biden got, did, did pretty badly, according to the pundits. Most of the folks on Biden said, well, it's not that he did so badly. He just didn't look like the guy who could win the presidential race. Right. Uh, and then the people who average, and on the New York Times average, got a 2.5 and a 2.6, respectively, out of 10. So the two biggest losers for the uh, for the uh, New York Times, pretty similar to the Dallas I ended up doing, were Tulsi Gabbard and Tom Steyer. Right. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, according to my average, did actually a little bit better than Beto O'Rourke and Biden, uh, but for the New York Times, but still was in my bottom four. And for the New York Times, I don't think either one of them made a compelling argument for themselves, and and neither one of them successfully exactly. took a bite out of somebody else's leg. Exactly. So then, I, and I would agree with that. Now here's the. Uh, now, here are the folks who are sort of the winners. Now, Kerr uh, and Klobuchar for the New York Times, they, they had them in the top five. 
Klobuchar came uh, third or fourth, essentially fourth in my analysis. Uh, and so I would call her sort of a mild winner. Uh, right. and, and she's, she's the one who's going to jump in if Joe falls. That's, I, I think that's how she's positioning herself. I think uh, is doing the same by, thing. Exactly. That was, a, that was an argument. Several, several pundits made about both Klobuchar and Buttigieg. They're just sort of waiting for waiting to t- pick up the scraps of a, of a Biden, of a Biden dropout or a Biden uh, drop off if, right. if such a thing happens. Uh, and then the two, and then the three biggest winners uh, were Bernie Sanders, Buttigieg, and Warren, according yeah. to the according to the now analysis. Uh, how did, so? First of all, and I have a couple of some of what I like analyzing actually is the media, right? My own thoughts about the debate, but I find a couple of media dynamics interesting. That if time bears, I want to offer that thought. But how does that comport with your view, Tom? How did you? Where, where does that seem out of whack or jibe with what you saw? I, you know, I think that that's probably a reasonable analysis, and it's not inconsistent with, with what I saw. I was expecting, frankly, since you were deriving all this from the media, that there would be a little more, uh, quote, media bias in there. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm just waiting for them. I mean, I, I, I just remember so vividly uh, back in, I think it too, was 2004, that, uh, you know, Howard Dean was on Chris Matthews' show, and uh, Chris Matthews said, well, you know, you've talked about these big corporations being broken up. Uh, you know, you're here on MSNBC. We're owned by General Electric. This was at the time. Um, he says, do you think that we should be broken up? And Howard Dean said, yes, absolutely. And he said, wait a minute, you mean uh, MSNBC and NBC should be split off from GE? And, and, and he's like, yeah, absolutely. They're, you know, a media company should be a media company, and they should compete in the media field. And um, Chris Matthews looked just genuinely stunned. And that was, I think, four days before the so-called Dean scream, which we all now know right. in retrospect was literally the media taking down Howard Dean, destroying him, just wiping yep. him off the, screen, off the face of the earth. And because Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are both saying essentially the same thing, um, I've been waiting for the Dean scream that's going to hit one of them. And you know, I'm guessing it'll probably come um, when the moderate uh, part of the, you know, the, I mean, uh, last night, Joe Biden really blew it a, a couple of times. He, he confused his two sons. He, he said that his son Hunter had had the job of AG in Delaware, which was his son, Bo. Um, he uh, he confused Iraq and Afghanistan in one answer. Um, and and he and he just patronized Elizabeth Warren trying to tame, you know, take credit for her single biggest accomplishment, and now the fact checkers are out here saying he had nothing to do with this. He wasn't even around to get this thing passed, and he was trying to claim credit for it last night. It was so, you know, kind of mansplainy, patronizing, you know, and he was interrupting her and shouting over her and stuff. I think all that's going to hurt him in the long term. And so, you know, the I think that once the media figures out who is a media acceptable candidate who can actually win, and they're increasingly thinking that's not going to be Joe Biden. And I'm guessing they're going to try to, they're probably going to try to end up with Amy Klobuchar, particularly the, the way she was given, the, the kind of treatment she was given when she first announced on MSNBC, where she was just everywhere all the time over and over and over again. When she starts climbing in the polls and becoming the corporate Democrat standard bearer against the Bernie Sanders side, that's when the Dean scream for Warren, excuse me, Warren Sanders, that's when the Dean scream for Warren or for Sanders, whoever's ahead at that point, right now it's looking like it's going to be Warren. That's when I think they're going to roll that out. Now that's a prediction. I, 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 worry, about, completely I worry about the same thing. 
I worry about the same thing. And one possible route that is building is how they're now starting the debate with trying to get Elizabeth Warren to say, I want to raise taxes, trying to put her in her box right. that will either either impact her in the primary, impact her in the general. When she's given her answer, she's given it a bunch of times and, and, and saying that basically thinking about it as taxation as a construct, think about it as total cost. She's given that answer. Uh, they're going to keep going after about that. Your thought on Biden uh, comports with one of the pundits, Mimi Swartz, uh, who was who the most positive about Biden, gave him a 7 out of 10. Most positive about Biden I could find. And even this was damning with faint praise. He stayed in the game until the fourth quarter for the first time with no record player references. Yeah. Fielded Hunter questions well enough, but his last stab at Warren, and here's where, uh, where uh, Mimi agrees with you, uh, at Warren translated on screen as, listen here, little lady. Uh, here, exactly. is, here, is my, here is my take on the media, something I've noticed. that There tends to be in the pundit review a reward for being uh, conflict-oriented, for being a little mean, for going after somebody. I sure. saw it when Castro uh, did his thing early on. I saw it when uh, the whole country saw it, when Kamala Harris went after Biden. Uh, yeah. But what I've noticed, I, I think there is some media bias, not only media bias about their own media ownership, but also media bias around the fact that they're fight promoters, that conflict mm-hmm. gets ratings, that fights are what they like to see. And so when Kamala Harris says you know, the thing she said, she gets a bump. But over time, I don't know if every voter likes it. And I, Klobuchar right. and Buttigieg both got higher marks in this methodology in significant part, if you do the, if, when I did the reading, because they went hard after Warren. I don't know if that helps them with overall Democratic voters over time, I although think I not. agree with you. I think not. And, I, and, I, and this, you know, yesterday, my Facebook, we do a, a daily Facebook meme. Actually, I think it might be today's, but it was my rant yesterday. Was in 1988, the League of Women Voters was supposed to moderate that election. And the two parties that year, the previous year, 87, um, put together this corporation to supervise the election, the uh, primaries. And uh, the League of Women Voters said, this is a sham. We will not participate in this sham. We are out of here. And I think it's time to shut down that corporation and bring the League of Women Voters back in and have questions asked. AT&T owns CNN. AT&T has got huge interest in China. Not a single question about what's going on in Hong Kong. Not a single question about, you know, corporate influence and corporate power. Yet these are some of the biggest issues of our time. Or voting rights, yeah. Absolutely, so much was missed. Yeah, Jefferson Smith. Jefferson, thanks so much for being with us. Appreciate it, Tom. Let's do it again. The uh, website, xray.fm. As a believer in natural medicine, I'm one to shy away from surgery, especially cosmetic procedures. And let's face it, you know, I'm human and want to look good. And decades of hard work and long life have left its mark. And I found a product that not only works but meets my non-invasive criteria. It's called Plexiderm. It's derived from shale rock and visibly reduces under-eye bags, wrinkles, and crow's feet in minutes. No knives, no needles, only naturally derived ingredients. Don't believe it? I didn't either until I tried, and now I don't let my skin give away my age. Within minutes, I was looking like my younger self again. Best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, so nobody will know you're using it unless you tell them, and the effects can last for hours. Go to TryPlexiderm.com. And use my code TOM, T-H-O-M, for 50% off plus an additional 10 bucks off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Don't be a victim of your skin any longer. Visit TriPlexiderm and use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, at checkout. That's TriPlexiderm.com 
or call 800-685-1292. Uh, let's see here, Burl in Sierra Vista, Arizona. Hey, Burl, what's on your mind today? Yeah, hi, Tom. You've been mentioning lately about how the debates are on the format with the reporters and such. And uh, what came to mind was, if you remember a book by Dr. Eric Byrne called Games People Play? Oh, yeah, that was back in the 80s or 70s even. Yeah, at yeah. least. Anyway, one of the games he describes is called Let's You and Him Fight. Hmm. And as that implies, it's a third person or third entity egging on the other two right, the instigator. to get them to fight. And it seems to me that's pretty much what's going on. Yeah. Well, and, and as Jefferson pointed out, and as I was ranting about yesterday, the, uh, these television networks are no longer obligated to provide news. They're not really in the business of providing news. They're in the business of making mm -hmm. money via selling advertising, which means mm -hmm. that ratings are the all-important thing. And the question that I think a lot of these newsrooms are asking before they're asking, what is the truth? What are the priorities? What are the things that could affect? I mean, just look at how climate change is being covered, right? I mean, this, yes, this could literally affect the fate and future of the human race, much less civilization, much less the, the, the ability of democracy to survive in the United States. And mm -hmm. it's virtually never discussed. Um, you know, right. the, the, uh, the, the crimes being committed against American consumers who are dying by the by the t tens to hundreds of thousands every year as a consequence of the crimes committed by the, by the pharmaceutical industry. Never discussed mm -hmm. on television. They're the largest advertisers right. on television. Uh, right. You know, I, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you, bro. Well, the way, that, you know, what he points out is the only way you win a game like this is by refusing to play. And I think Cory Booker kind of alluded to that last night, but I think the others need to get on board with that as well. Yeah, I've come to the conclusion that Cory Booker is running for vice president right now more than anything else. He's, he, has, mm -hmm. he is not making the kind of um, strong stands... Uh, you know, here's where I stand, you know, planting my flag kind of thing. I mean, you know, Buttigieg and, 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 uh, and Biden and, and Klobuchar are saying, you know, we're, we're here with corporate health insurance. Corporate health insurance is a good partner. And the banks, they're good people. We can work with these people, right? Those are the positions that they're taking. Um, you know, Bernie and Elizabeth Warren are obviously saying those are terrible companies and we don't, you know, we want to regulate them or break them up or something. But um, Cory Booker and, and Julian Castro, I think both of them have been instead kind of just staying around the edges and in the middle and taking positions that could be nuanced in either direction. Because I think that they're thinking that whether the presidential nominee ends up being uh, you know, Biden, the centrist, uh, which was what everybody was assuming three months ago, or whether it's going to be Warren or, or Sanders, a, a genuine progressive, that he could then end up going either way, or either one of them could end up you know, throwing their lot in with either side and having some credibility to do that. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I, I, you know, I, I, my, my take is that they're running for vice president, but I, you know, okay. I, who knows? Well, I'm very much a, a Bernie and Elizabeth fan. Yeah, I've been me too. for a long time. So. Me too. I, yeah, I, I hope they make it through. Earl, thanks a lot for the call, and thanks for watching Free Speech TV. We'll be right back. It's uh, 22 minutes past the hour. You're watching or listening to your media support group for We the People of the United States of America, the Tom Hartman program. We'll be back with uh, more of my thoughts on last night's debate and your calls on Sunday.
John in Kansas City, Missouri. Hey, John, what's up? I watched that debate last night, and I please give my two cents in on the public please. option in Medicare for all. I am a veteran, and I receive VA care, and I really feel for people out there. So you're getting socialized medicine. I mean, that's literally exactly. socialized medicine. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, but I also have a job in which I have private insurance, but I choose not to use it because the VA gives me great, better coverage. What I don't understand about this debate between Medicare for all and the public option is to me it's real simple. Make Medicare the public option. I guarantee you, and like a previous caller said, if you put up the comparisons to what a person is paying in the private insurance to compare what they would be paying in Medicare, it's a no-brainer to me. It's sure. just like the public option decision I made. Well, do I want to pay for my private insurance that my employer is giving me, or do I want to use the VA, which I pay for? No prescription drugs, no co-pays, no treatment. The only thing I'm paying for out of my insurance through my job is for dental. Mm-hmm. So, so I just want the public to understand, I used to work in the medical field. I used to do the billing. I understand what the, the people are going through. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But I kind of felt that Buttigieg and those that are saying, well, how are you going to pay for it? I mean, what are you paying for now? Right. You're sitting here. Exactly. Which is the point both Bernie yeah. and Elizabeth are, are, are constantly making and exactly. just needs to be made over and over and over again. Yeah. John, thank you very much for the call. Brian in uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. Hey, Brian, what's up? I just wanted to comment quickly that your comment about Booker running for vice president, I think, is right on if Elizabeth Warren is the candidate. And the other point on this debate about Elizabeth Warren um, explaining her position on Medicare for all. I, I wish he would take a page out of Jefferson Smith's comment where he said the proper construct is to view this as um, and not taxation, but total cost. She says that in a way, but I, I just thought he it, it would be nice if um, she didn't start out with Yes, taxes are going to go up on corporations, et cetera, et cetera. And just focused on, laser focused on, it's not the proper construct to talk about taxation. um, Here's what she said. She said, I will not sign a law, a bill into law that does not lower costs for middle class families. And uh, then Klobuchar said, uh, uh, taxing income is not going to get where you want to be the way taxing wealth does. Oh, I'm sorry. And then Warren said, the rich are not like you and me. The, re- the really, really billionaires are making their money off their accumulated wealth, and it just keeps going, growing. We need a wealth tax in order to make investments into the next generation. Well, that, that wasn't so much about uh, Medicare for all stuff. But yeah. Um, the major point I wanted to make, Tom, is that I think that the old theme of keep your eyes on the prize, and I just wish that every one of the candidates would do a better job of pivoting pivoting toward Donald Trump is an existential threat on three different levels to us, to the country. First is the climate crisis, you know, his complete denial of that. Every one of those candidates uh, um, should, should point that out. He's an existential threat on that basis. He's an existential threat 
to our our form of government, our constitutional form of government, checks and balances, separation of powers. I mean, he's destroying that. And thirdly, he's an existential threat to the middle class. He's an existential threat to the fate and future of the planet through his global uh, climate change uh, denial, his pulling us out of the Paris Accords, to peace, to, you know, to not having World War III, uh, taking us out of the Iran nuclear deal, you know, what he just did in Syria. I mean, it's, uh, this guy is a serious danger to our You're country. listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And any of those people on that stage last night, any of them, and even a few who didn't make the stage, would make a much better president than Donald Trump. You know, I mentioned this thing with Facebook. I think that that's important. Bernie Sanders just got key endorsements. This is a big deal. Uh, you know, I've, I've talked about how well I thought Elizabeth Warren did last night. Bernie Sanders did really, really well last night, too. He was upbeat. He was energetic. He was enthusiastic. He did not, you know, seem like anybody you'd have to worry about his health. And he today got official endorsements from from three members of the squad, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, and Ilhan Omar. So God bless them all. You know, the momentum continues. Until last year, I never endorsed a weight loss product, but I decided to change that after reading about university research into a molecule in olive oil that regulates appetite. Louise told me there was one that was worth sharing, and after a year, I'd have to say she's right. The key to losing weight, of course, is getting your appetite and those pesky food cravings under control. Once you do that, the rest is easy. My producer, Sean, is now trying Ridgizone, too. Who doesn't want to lose a few pounds before the holidays? Sean says... Ridgizone is making it easy for her to stick with her weight loss plan. Just one capsule with breakfast and that's it. Second one with dinner for days when you need a little extra help. Sean says when you don't feel hungry, it's easier to make better choices. The only ingredient in Ridgizone occurs naturally in the body and is completely non-stimulant. And that really appealed to both Louise and Sean. Look, if you're looking to lose weight this season, I strongly suggest you give non-prescription Ridgizone a try. Use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive up to 65% off plus free shipping. Go to RidUZone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com. R-I-D-U-Zone.com. RidUZone.com. Promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, RidUZone.com. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us. Good morning, Tom. It's great to have you with us. And I should mention, for people who might just be tuning in, you are the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. You represent the 2nd District of Wisconsin. Pocan.house.gov is your website. And you can be tweeted at Rep. Mark Pocan. I'm curious, before we get to our callers, there's already a few stacked up. What was your take on the debate last night? The debate, night? one of the observations I had was, once again, progressive issues are taking the lead in what they're talking about. And I'm so happy to see Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders still kind of almost co-sharing that stage, talking about those issues. And we watched, you know, some people now to try 
to have new lanes to be that outsider. I think you've got you know Pete Buttigieg, and you have um, to some degree Amy Klobuchar trying to take that area because you know there's always room for an outsider as you start moving forward. But you know, really watching, I think Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and talk about issues that are progressive issues that people really do care about. I think it's positive to see that continue to take the leading role in these debates. Last night, Joe Biden mixed up Afghanistan and Iraq. He mixed up his two sons, said his son Hunter had, had been the AG, I guess it was, for Delaware. And that was his son, Bo, who recently died. There's an interesting piece in the Financial Times. Uh, it wasn't so much covered by the American press. I mean, it was kind of largely ignored that Klobuchar and Buttigieg are the ones figuring that if Joe continues to stumble like this, uh, they'll be the ones who will step into that middle centrist place. What do you think? Yeah, and even almost an outsider. You know, if you listen to, to Mayor Pete's answers last night when he talked about all those congressmen and senators, right, he was distancing himself from most everybody on the stage. And I think he's trying to find that role, as did, I think, Amy Klobuchar. Again, even though she's obviously an insider trying to, if she's not doing well, then she can't be the preferred person, right, trying to take that kind of a position. But, you know, the fact that Medicare for All still is one of the leading uh, you know, issues they're talking about. And um, there in particular, I thought Bernie did a great job of, and, and we need to get this information out to folks, Tom, mm. that when you have no deductible or no copay or anything else, uh, think about right now how many people have 5,000 deductible annual plans. Right. That would be gone completely. That is uh, something that has to be factored in as you talk about the economics of a single-payer system, and I think we need to share that because there's been some disinformation, I think, put out by the industry, and as you saw, there was an Intercept article, uh, quite honestly, it was by the hospitals in the yeah. country who've been the leading funders of the disinformation. Yeah, and then I was just disgusted this morning on Morning Joe as Claire McCaskill and, and Joe Scarborough were just, like, ripping apart, you know, Medicare for All and Bernie and, and Liz Warren. I mean, I just see the war starting. Stewart in Venice, Florida. Hey, Stewart, you're on the air with Congressman Pokey. Hi, it's a pleasure to talk to both of you. Thanks for you, what you do. Very simple. Tom, yesterday you used the term low information voter, which is something we've been using for a long time. I want to get both of your opinion on maybe starting to change it to misinformation voters mm. or perhaps disinformation voters, because I think misinformation really nails it a lot better. It's, I think that's the yeah. worst. I was making the distinction people. between the people who are who are working so much that they might catch 10 minutes of news a day somewhere versus, which is the low information voters, versus the people who live in the Fox right-wing hate radio bubble, which is what you're describing. But Congressman, your thoughts? Yeah, well, and I think, you know, what Stuart's bringing up also is, I forget the exact percent, but it's an alarmingly high number of people who get their news from their Facebook feed. Right. And that's only giving you things from certain sources you go to anyway. So you're really not getting maybe the richness of uh, what, what really is the news. And um, also you have a president who's telling you not to trust anything out there, but just trust him, as any good despot or dictator would do. Uh, and those voters are only getting that information, and I use that term with air quotes when I talk about Donald Trump, uh, from him and him alone. So uh, I think Stuart's point uh, is well made that, uh, you know, when you only get a narrow bit of news because it's from your Facebook feed or some other feed, or you're just getting it from a, someone who tells you they'll give you the truth and they alone will give you the truth, you can imagine how much misinformation people are getting. Jack, listening to AM 910 in Folsom, California. Jack, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thank you, Congressman. Gene McCarthy was my great progressive hero, and I don't, I don't hear a progressive today talking about getting us out of the wars 
the way Gene McCarthy stood up to Hubert Humphrey and, and LBJ and said, we got to get out of Vietnam. They said the same things that I'm hearing now from both the neocons and from so many progressives. We can't get out. We can't get out. Yeah, Jack, I would add one other thing. My friend John Nichols, who writes for The Nation, tweeted out something this morning about no one you know, really raising that they didn't have a question about climate change. And I, my response back was, or about the defense budget, which is uh, this year going to be at $738 billion, a billion with a B dollars. In just three fiscal years ago, it was at $618 billion. That's a 20% increase at a time of peace in just three years, and you can't continue uh, at this rate, and yet I have not seen that question come up at any of these debates, and that would go to the number of people who are overseas, our involvement everywhere in the world, and even the president. Think of the irony of him, his excuse for what his bad decision was in Syria, but then he's sending several thousand troops to Saudi Arabia. I mean, he doesn't even know how much he doesn't know uh, when he does something like that. But you're right. None of those things were front and center as they should have been. And I hope and they will be in a future debate. Well, and AT&T owns CNN and AT&T has media partnerships in China and business partnerships. And there was not a single word about what's going on in Hong Kong. And there was not a single word yeah. about corporate power or, you know, breaking up giant monopolies, including media monopolies. So surprise, yeah, we got a little surprise. antitrust, just a taste of it. You could do a whole debate that I think would be a valuable debate just on antitrust law. Yeah. I mean, if you look at pharmaceutical companies and what they're doing, big ag and the devastation it's having in that upper Midwest, um, there's a lot we could talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot that we're missing. I, I've been saying, and I, in fact, I wrote about this yesterday, um, we need to bring back the League of Women voters and get these uh, TV stars out of the business. Right. Yeah, I, did, I thought it was a poor debate as far as questioning. Yeah, there you go. And they all have been. And the last time the League of Women Voters, they pulled out in 88. They said it's turning into a charade because the, the parties have taken it over. Anyhow, Alex in Seattle, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Congress. My question is a little bit different than everyone else's. What are your thoughts on the Democratic nominee, Andrew Yang, and how he's targeting the 18 to 24-year-old demographic by means of social media, social media influencers going onto podcasts, um, using avenues that no other Democratic nominees are doing with an undervalued demographic? Yeah, Alex, I'll admit, I know the least about his uh, candidacy probably than anyone. However, I can say two things. One, the fact that um, there are other strategies we should use uh, to get political communication out there. He's clearly doing well enough because as someone who's come from nowhere to be in the debates, he's doing something right. And there should be something we can learn from that moving forward. And, and perhaps it's the policy issues and perhaps it's the way he's communicating. Um, however, I have seen the, Mon the Monmouth poll that came out now probably about four to six weeks ago. Um, he was at 6% among millennial or uh, the younger voters, uh, tie with Joe Biden, which was quite low on that poll. So I don't know though, if his messaging is working exactly with that demographic, because at least from that poll, it didn't show the deliverables on maybe where he's advertising. But I do think we should look at the policy he's putting out there, and if he's doing something unique around political communication, uh, we should always take the best practices that are out. I'm curious your thoughts on the upcoming week and where we should be sending our attention and our activism. 
Yeah, um, you know, we're back in session, so uh, there's going to be a major prescription drug bill coming through the House in the next few weeks. If people are interested in that, they should be paying attention. We're going to be doing this resolution of disapproval on the president's actions in Syria and, and possibly some sanctions next week. And watch uh, on the impeachment side. Ambassador Sondland, I think, could be very pivotal testimony coming up. I believe that's on Thursday. So just keep contacting your elected officials and let your voices be known it's it's the single best way that we can actually be responsive. You need to, to be as active in this process. There you go. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Thank there you, you go. Congressman Pocan, thank you again for another great week. Of course, Tom. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Yep, Thanks great for talking audience. with you. Uh, and, yeah, we, and we will see you next week. We are very much looking forward to it. Congressman Mark Pocan, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. We're going to talk about the debate last night. It's going to get interesting. So would you like to watch the Tom Hartman program, all three hours of our program, anytime you'd like? Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Tom Hartman, T-H-O-M-H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, all run together. And you become a supporter of the program through Patreon. You have access to the full three-hour show anytime you want and special content that we put up every single week that is unique specifically to our Patreon page. So check it out, patreon.com slash Tom Harbin. Thank you. So let's check in with our old buddy Bob Ney and find out what's going on in the world today. Uh, Bob, first of all, welcome back from your uh, meditation time with the Dalai Lama in India. Oh, thank you, Tom. I thought about you as I walked past the Dalai Lama Temple. I know you were over there, and yeah, and it's a great place to be. It really is. It's really mm-hmm, amazing. It? It's like it's like it's like the epicenter of world peace. It's uh, isn't it? Yes. There's, there's a few places where I really feel that way. I I, I, I felt that way um, at the Dome of the Rock and on the on the Western Wall in uh, in Jerusalem. Yes. Uh, I felt Absolutely. that way at at Machu Picchu. Um, there's just a few places. I felt that way at the headquarters of the Salem International Group in Stuttgart. Germany, that these are like mm-hmm. holy places, uh, you know. Aren't they? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, what, what, are your, what were your thoughts on the debate, the debate last night, and 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 what do you think is the you know the stuff that's happening in the news today that we really need to know about? But I'm particularly right. interested in your thoughts as a former Republican congressman from Ohio. You wrote a book, Sideswiped, about that experience. You know about politics. Well, you know, Tom, I, I wanted to say first off, Tulsi Gabbard, I loved the fact that she brought up about regime change wars. Yeah. I mean, that is what these are, make no bones about it, regime change wars. Saddam Hussein, you know, on and on, the pursuit of, of Assad. Nobody's saying whether these people are good people or bad people, but I just really appreciate it, I think, hearing that. That lays out something nobody can dispute. So I just wanted, you know, to mention yeah, that. Yeah, but it went nowhere, uh, I, which kind of surprised you know, me. Well, that's the, let me give you a generic overall, too. I'm sorry, but, um, and, and, and I like what uh, Cory Booker said about when they were starting down the road with Joe Biden. I li- like what he did. Mm. But I'm sorry, but uh, the, these moderators of these debates, I, I noticed somebody would say something, and then they would turn around and say, well, Senator Warren, what do you think they just you know, said about you? They wanted to foster combat last right. night. Right. That's exactly what they wanted to do. It's not your stereotypical debate. It's as if Republicans, in some cases, were sitting there asking the questions. Now, 
they're all big boys and girls. I understand all that, you know, the old uh, political you know, thing about, you know, you're coming to a fight. But after all, I, I think that uh, people will look for a little bit more in a debate. So this is what I've been saying. Bring back the League of Women Voters. You know, these, these yeah. people are, I, I'm tired of preening, you know, multimillionaire TV stars trying to get the perfect little soundbite that will elevate their career and increase profits for the network that doesn't do a damn thing for our democracy. You hit the nail on the head, the League of Women Voters. They did it in 1980 when I first ran. Uh, they did it all over the country. Yeah. They need to come back. Yeah, they They're quit, in, they quit in 88. They said that the, the parties right. were turning it into a charade, and they were right. Mm -hmm. But overall, I mean, I think Elizabeth Warren did did quite well. And I think also, you know, the fact that she was hit by uh, the other candidates on certain issues and the way she defended herself, I think she showed last night that, you know, she's not just going to uh, be um, answering, because some of my friends have said, well, she'll answer like a professor against Donald Trump. I don't think. I think she'll answer factually, but I think she showed last night that, you know, she can handle, uh, you know, when, when you come at her. Now, I know Trump will do it in a different manner, but I think she did show that. And then... Um, Buttigieg was, I just think he really uh, is quite amazing for a small town mayor from, you know, South Bend, Indiana, and the amount of money he's raised, et cetera. And he was uh, a lot more sharp on last night, you know. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Beto O'Rourke, I just, I just don't. Just Beto's don't see falling it. away. Yeah, no, I, I don't see it with him. I don't see it with Castro, Tom Steyer. There's, he doesn't have a chance. I think last night, Tom, as I sat and watched this, just you know, watching from the outside, I was looking at combinations of tickets last night. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I was doing. I was saying, oh, okay, uh, this position, uh, Buttigieg, uh, Kamala Harris, talk about being able to hold her own. There is no question about that one, too. I know she has grown out of favor for some of her past prosecutorial stances. But then again, when I was, you know, was watching it, I was looking at the combinations. Because with this complete chaos, this nuclear bomb that has went off in D.C., and I think there's a lot of ugly things to come. I think Giuliani is in serious, serious trouble, big time, and some others. And I never thought I would say this. Please mark this day. John Bolton, <laughs> who I love to politically beat up. John Bolton, think about this, who calls the staffer to say, well, you better get a hold of, a, of an attorney. I mean, really? Yeah, when well, John uh, Bolton is the, is the one reasonable guy in the room, you know it's time to run! <laughs> that's, that's what I was just thinking to myself. If, if I'm praising John Bolton, it's time to move on, too. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Big, no, big but it's uh, this, this, uh, the three amigos. I mean, he's basically, you know, and, and it looks like Mick Mulvaney is the, is the guy who made all this happen on behalf of Trump. Obviously, Trump mm -hmm. made it all happen, but Mick Mulvaney was the bag man. And, uh, you know, pushing uh, State Department professionals out, pushing our ambassador out so that they could run this uh, shakedown, basically, of, the, right. of, this, of this neophyte president of Ukraine. I mean, it's just it's breathtaking. And Trump. And, and, and it, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. Yes, it, it is breathtaking. And in the end, if the Senate does not convict, put that aside for a second. The House needs to do what the House is doing. Do it professionally. Do it appropriately. Keep it all in the on the up and up and of how they do it. Right. And the president is 
is creating a constitutional collision here, Tom, which eventually is going to get solved by a court. But it is. It's a constitutional collision right now. Yeah. Oh, and I think Trump is, I think his bet is he's got enough right-wingers on both the federal court, on the federal bench, and on the Supreme Court. And we saw this in this one case last week where this, uh, you know, one of three judges in the, in the D.C. district, uh, you know, just basically echoed a meaningless Trump propaganda message as her as her decision. She had just been put on the bench by him. The Senate is getting nervous. Trust me, the Senate ours are getting nervous. Yeah, and I look forward to future conversations with you about that. Bob Nay, thank, thank you. you, Bob. Thank you. Bob Nay is the author of Sideswiped. Louise and I have been using CBD oil for about a year now, and uh, it is great stuff. New Leaf Natural CBD oil is the one that we're using right now. It's non-intoxicating CBD oil, uh, which is great for, for people who want to use cannabinoids and get the health benefits from cannabinoids without getting high. CBD is non-toxic. It has potent pain relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. And the brand that I use is New Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals and New Leaf Naturals, the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, grown right here in the USA, and the only ingredient is hemp. So the product remains in its most pure and simple form and is totally legal. Go to newleafnaturals.com, that's n-u-leafnaturals.com, save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to newleaf, newleafnaturals.com for premium cannabinoid wellness. It's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Defending America from the conservative weapons of mass deception. Tom Hartman here right with you. Brian in Beverly Hills. Hey, Brian, what's on your mind today? Oh, hi, Tom. Thank you. Um, I wanted to, uh, I called originally to bring up the endorsements of, of the ladies from the squad. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, fortunately, you mentioned it right before the break, but I just wanted to get your take on uh, how significant you think that actually is, because I feel like with those endorsements, they're going to bring in a lot of different um, groups of people from all around the nation to help Bernie. So I just want to know what you thought about that. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think it's a marvelous thing. I, you know, as you know, I'm a big supporter of both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. I, I, I and 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 I will work for and vote for any Democrat who sure. ends up being the standard bearer for our party. But those two, I will, uh, you know, I'm not doing endorsements this time around. I did last time. I endorsed Bernie and and got, you know, uh, probably. <laughs> Probably, uh, you know, more. I, I'm. It wasn't a good thing, I, you know. I, and so this time, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna wait until we have a standard bearer. But I will express my preferences. The question is, is there so much overlap between the people who support the squad? You know, I've sent money to several of the Democratic candidates, including Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, and a few others because I wanted to get on their email list. I mean, I routinely do that in elections. But I also sent money to Ilhan Omar when Trump went after her. And so I'm on her email list. And I must have sent money to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez at one point uh, because I'm on her list. And the question that you posed was, will their endorsement of Bernie really open up more support for Bernie? And I'm guessing that there's so much overlap between people who love Bernie and people who love the squad that it's probably more affirming an affirmation rather than it is a uh, an alteration you know something that's going to change the course of the of the race or anything like that i think if they had gone for elizabeth warren and it kind of surprised me because they're all women um it, had they gone for elizabeth warren that that might have been actually the beginning of a turning 
from Bernie to Elizabeth Warren. But instead, this is, you know, a really good holding action because there are a number of people who are saying to themselves and saying in public and saying on this program, well, you know, Bernie's got that baggage of the socialism thing, et cetera, et cetera. And, and also he's got all these Democrats who, who voted, who worked for Hillary in the primary, who, who just, you know, hate him. And uh, therefore he's got a, uh, some problems inside the Democratic Party. There is some truth to that, but I think he can overcome all of that, frankly, if he's the party's nominee. Um, you know, he's a good guy and he's very smart. He knows what he's doing. But whether, yeah. whether the squad's uh, endorsement is going to be consequential in a forward-moving way or, sim or whether it's simply going to hold off some of Warren's momentum is uh, how I would, I would frame that question. And I, I frankly don't know well, the answer to that. We'll have to see what happens. I think I think that uh, it's also maybe important to consider that they're women of color. It's not just that they're women. Yes, you're right. They're women of color. And I feel like that is, it is a little bit more significant because, yeah. because and, and, and yeah, I don't know whether, like what you said, whether there's actually an overlap already and that every, that nobody, that anybody that's already there is, is not going to be having to change their opinion. But I just, still think um, it, the appearance of it is quite remarkable. Yeah, I agree. So. I agree. It is. It's worth noting, certainly. Brian, yes, thank yes. you for the call. Jennifer in Stillwater, Massachusetts, uh, Minnesota. <laughs> Hi, Tom. I knew you'd get it eventually. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I just wanted to say, um, you know, I'm a fifth generation Minnesota DFLer, and I voted for Amy Klobuchar the first time she ran, but then she delisted our wolves in our state. What does I, that mean? She, well, she. Does got, it mean they can be hunted now? Yes, they could be hunted, trapped, and snared. Our Minnesota DNR took a poll, and 79% of us did not want them hunted, and 90% um, did not want them trapped and snared. And then she did it anyway. She got them delisted. She sponsored the bill. It's a federal, you know, thing. Right. And then they were hunted for uh, four years. Uh, we formed a group called Howling for Wolves, and we fought her. You know, we got petition signatures at the state fair and all over the state. And, um, you know, she never listened to us. And uh, we were, we're all Democrats, of course, progressives. And um, so, you know, she was not responsive to us. And um, I think a lot of this had to do with, you know, her support of big, big ag, you know, big agriculture in our state. Oh, because the wolves are industry. eating the, the, the cows and stuff, you mean? Well, theoretically, but really, you know, the wolves mostly these days only live in like the top, you know, 20 percent of our state up by the Canadian border. Right. And there's really not that much farming and, and up there. And mostly they're so competing really... with uh, deer hunters for deer. <laughs> if they're, yeah, if they're competing with in humans. Our state, we have um, 1.2 million deer, yeah. and white-tailed deer are not native to Minnesota. Yeah. They moved up here after, you know. So, and then also, I think it was actually connected to them wanting to get um, this copper nickel mining, which we've never had in Minnesota before. It's very mm. toxic, and there's an Oleg Deripaska um, connection there, where oh, um, he is in with Glencore Corporation, which was founded by Mark Rich. The, uh, so what does that have to do with delisting wolves? Um, well, because the wolves are, were an endangered species, and you can't, it's like the spotted owl in Oregon back under Poppy Bush. Right. You can't um, have an endangered species like the Canada lynx or the wolves on the oh, land. Oh, so you, can't build, a, you can't build a toxic mine in the middle of a, of a wolf preserve if wolves are listed. Bingo. If you delist the wolves, suddenly you can build your mine. Bingo. Oh, and, God. Um, Bingo. And so they gave away 6,700 acres of our Superior National Forest um, to Glencore Polymet. Right. And that Superior National Forest is named after Lake Superior, the largest sure. body of fresh water on Earth, into which it's going to drain the copper sulfide, sulfuric acid. 
So um, Amy Klobuchar did that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay, Jennifer, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I need, I need to fact check that. I, just because just you heard it on the radio from a caller doesn't mean it's true. But it sounds credible to me. Paul in Glenside, Pennsylvania. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Uh, I'd like to, if I can, hopefully improve the, um, the framing of the Medicare for All conversation. Sure. Uh, I think Elizabeth Warren certainly has uh, the correct response when she says she's not going to sign a bill that will uh, increase costs for the average American. And I think she needs to step back to counter the framing of the Republican talking points. And, and just simply explaining it's a, a mixed economy. Uh, the economy as a whole has a public sector and it has a private sector. The public sector has taxes. The private sector has prices from its markets. Together, the prices and the taxes equal the costs of the economy. Yeah, I was just and thinking... She can step... Yeah, I, w I was just thinking about the the truck driver who called earlier. Said I make a hundred grand a year, and all you know, and my and my health insurance policy is part of the contract that I've got, and it's you know it's a gold plated policy. Um, but I'm guessing that he's still got some out of pocket costs. It's it's probably still costing him a couple thousand bucks a year, uh, particularly if he goes to a hospital or has you know any kind of even a small well, surgical procedure. He might never have been done. sick. Yet. He might never have been really sick. Right, he so he might not know. Or broken but, arm, but, but, but my you point know. is that you know, if if he could have a couple thousand dollars a year in out-of-pocket expenses, and Medicare for all does uh, yeah. away with all that, but his taxes go up a hundred bucks a month to cover it, he's still ahead. His his costs are still right. lower. And, and, here, and here, here's the other thing to also, to, I think, we need to elevate the entire discussion to reframe it back to where it should be. This is the moral equivalent of war, and you're probably familiar with that term. Health care is not going to obliterate anything for Americans. It's going to protect everybody, just as the police department and the military protects the entire citizenry, the entire United States. Could you imagine if we were paying taxes and like we're only going to protect Texas, Florida, California, and and portions of the East Coast, right. you know, that we happen to want to cover, and everyone else has to hire Pinkerton agents or whoever Blackwater to defend yourself? It's ridiculous. The moral equivalent of war is the concept that it is serious. As serious an issue as our health care is, the state should be defending our health as much as it defends our lives from foreign invasion or criminality, you know, the deadly criminals in our midst, in our communities. That's how serious health care is. It's the moral equivalent of war. And Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders need to convey that. Yeah, and, and, uh, and, and what part of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is still available to a person who is seriously ill and suddenly $100,000 in debt as a consequence exactly. of it. I mean, you know, where... where yeah. That, I mean, this, this goes back to that question. We need to, to be free that, from the fear of, of foreign invasion. We need to be free, free, free from the fear of getting cancer. Free from exactly. The fear and not just happens. for ourselves, for our neighbors, too, because your neighbor, what, he, what your neighbor gets sure. might be contagious. I mean, you know, you've got tuberculosis hotspots exactly. now in New York and Los Angeles. Walking down the street can be dangerous because everybody doesn't have health insurance. And, and, and it's just nuts. It's like, you know, it's, it's like our, our it's, it's as, if, as if our fire department said, well, you know, we're, we're just not going to, we're not going to protect anybody who earns under $18,000 a year. Their houses will burn down. I mean, you know, the Republicans are saying, well, your body will burn down if you make less than that because we're not going to give you Medicaid. Um, it's nuts. I, I'm with you. I, I'm absolutely with you, Paul. I think, you know, the moral equivalent of war 
At first, I thought you said mall equivalent of war, and you were going to make a parallel about mall cops versus real cops, you know, covering everybody versus. But, but then I figured out what you were saying, and I got it. I got it, and, and I'm with you. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Mary in Scottsdale, Arizona. Hey, Mary, what's on your mind? Hi. I wanted to talk about the debate last night, and I think Bernie won. I think Elizabeth needs to really say that, yeah, we're going to raise taxes or... I think she needs to stay to her framing. That's a Republican frame. And it's it's really meaningless because you, you it, it, it's it's as if as it's, it's as if it's all about taxes and it's not. It's about costs. Oh, I, I agree. But but she's going to get hit hard. This is going to happen over and over and over again, and she's going to keep saying, I will not raise the costs of average Americans. And she's going to repeat it enough times that people are going to start figuring out what the hell she's talking about. Yeah, that's that's a good thing. But I, I yeah. do think Bernie won. I support Bernie. And I think AOC and the squad endorsing him is huge. Yeah, Just I huge. Agree. I agree. You have a Muslim. You have a... Um, a Hispanic and an African-American woman, and I think it's really going to give him a big boost. But my thing is, I called yesterday to talk about this. Tulsi was not going to debate because of what the DNC is doing in the primary states, which is polling instead of voting. Can you tell me what you know about that? I don't know anything about it. I, you don't know anything. My, I have not was, been able to see. I mean, I've I've read several stories in which Tulsi Gabbard has made allegations about the DNC. I have yet right, to see but, an allegation that I understood what she was talking about. And that might be well, just that I'm uninformed. And if I am, you know, please inform me or somebody tweet me a link that'll make sense out of this for me. But all right, uh, I got know. I have a link, and I have what she what she was talking about is basically she's hearing. From the voters in Iowa, New Hampshire, um, Vegas, that they're going to poll and they're going to debate, but there will be no voting in the primary states. And I just wanted to know if that's even legal to do. That's not true. Primary that's states are going to hold primary ballots. I mean, there 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 are some that do it by by uh, caucus, you know, like like Iowa does. So yeah, right. you don't you don't vote in Iowa. You show up at the caucus and hold your hand up. Um, yeah. You know, okay. And then the other states hold hold elections. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, there are no states, uh, primary states, that are not going to hold primary elections. Now the well, Republicans are trying to do this. Uh, Trump has gotten four states now to say that they will not have Republican primaries in those states. But right. Democratic primaries are on. They're on all across the country. They have not been turned off oh. anywhere. So, so I, got a, I got a boogie, Mary, but, uh, you know, I, I, I will fact check that uh, this afternoon. I'll, I'll dig into it and see if I can find anything that contradicts what I just said. Um, I, you know, I, I like to be able to say that if I tell you something, you can take it to the bank. Uh, let me double check that. But outside of Tulsi complaining, I have not seen any specific evidence of anything uh, that what you just described. Anyhow. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It really isn't. It requires all of us. And that includes you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.